Grab a seat. And howdy. My name is Kevin Bear. I'm the college pastor here at our Southwood campus. And, uh, and as Trey said earlier, there was a mass exodus of all of our staff. They all decided to go to Chicago and eat pizza. And they said, it's yours, you know. And, and so that's why I'm here with you. I'm so honored to be with you here this morning. And we're going to be continuing in our uh, study of the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bible, jump to Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And uh, that's where we're going to be starting this morning. I'm going to read uh, for us. Then pray for us one more time, and then we will continue. So Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, says this. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is of no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. And glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks else, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. You pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for your word, and I thank you so much for the life of Paul, a man who, who had attained great things in his world at his time, but found them to be, to be nothing when compared to a relationship with you. And Lord, I know this morning there are so many things that we are chasing, so many, so many um, castles that we are building, but Lord, I pray that we might see clearly that you are better than all of them. And Lord, I pray that this morning we might come to that realization, maybe even for the first time. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, when I was in fifth grade, um, my friend invited me to do something. And I'll tell you this. We all do silly things to be accepted. So my friend invited me over to his house, and he had this plan to take me up this tree. Now, uh, I grew up in Katy, Texas, and I went to Patterson Elementary, if any of you were there. Okay, that was my school. And, uh, and outside of Pal- Patterson Elementary, there were these trees, like these group of trees that were surrounded by vines. There was literally vines covering all of these trees. And he says, okay, come over to my house, and then we're going to go over to the elementary, and let me show you something. I'm like, okay, Brian, where are we going? And he goes over and shows me this group of trees, and he kind of sneaks his way in there, and he's like, come on. I'm like, where are you going? He like heads into the brush, right? And he, he stands in there and I sneak my way in and you look up and you see this canopy of trees literally covered by vines. And you can just stand there and look around it. And he looks at me and he goes, we're going up. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, we're going up. And so he starts climbing, not the tree, but the vines to get on top of the tree. And then he gets on top of the canopy. I can't even see him. And he peeks his head through. He's like, come on, buddy. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, and And so I start climbing my way up these vines and I get to the top of this canopy and literally you could walk on top of these trees. And Brian says, check this out. And he goes and jumps from one top of the canopy to another. He goes, come on, dude, you do it. And I'm like, oh gosh. 
Okay, and so I jump after him. Like, I jump over to where he is, and then he goes, okay, let's jump over here. And we literally start jumping from spot to spot on top of these canopy of trees, having this great time. And then at one moment, he goes, now check this out. And there's like this deeper spot way over there. And he goes, all right, ready? And he jumps and shoots right through. Like, Brian, where did you go? (laughs) And then all of a sudden, I hear this squealing um, in a high-pitched voice saying, I was like, I don't know what to do. And so I, so I peek my head out of the canopy and I look over at him. And Brian is now suspended by a single vine between his legs. And he's teetering back and forth. I said, Brian, I have no help to give you. You're 10 feet off the ground. You've got a single vine. I've got nothing. And he goes, please help. And by then the vine broke and he fell to the ground. And we have a good laugh. Why do I tell you that? We all do silly things to be accepted. Like, there's a desire within us to be accepted by some group, some organization, some, some people. And, and we can do really silly things to be accepted. And the reason I start there is because Paul is telling you there is a, there's a drive in this section to be accepted for the right reasons. To be accepted simply means this. To be recognized as valid or to be correct. We all want to be right in the eyes of someone or something. And what Paul says is, look, there's a path you can go to to find acceptance. There's a way you can live your life to be accepted. But I want to tell you about a better path. And in literally this section, he leads you down a way of thinking to figure out, are you chasing the path that matters most? Are you chasing a path of life that really matters? And the first place he points is, is kind of surprising. The first place he points is this, to this simple question. What do you celebrate? In verse 1, Paul says it this way. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is of no trouble to me and a safeguard for you. He says, I want you to first look at what you rejoice in. What do you celebrate? When you think about accomplishments or or something that's worth celebrating, worth rejoicing in, what is it for you? And I'll tell you, this is the path that we go down. Because what we celebrate is where we participate. And where we participate is ultimately the life you create. What we celebrate and what we value is where we will spend our time. That's what we will participate in. And ultimately, that is the life that you will create. And the challenge is this. Uh, This works in most areas of life. So I remember when I was in high school, I went and saw a terrible movie three times. Because everyone celebrated this film, right? They're like, you have to see Seven Years in Tibet. And I'm like, the what? Apparently Brad Pitt was in the movie. And I remember going the first time, and I couldn't make it all the way through. And I'm like, this movie was terrible. And I walked out. And then the same, another group of friends said, hey, we got to go see this movie. And I go in there, I sit for another part of it. I'm like, no, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. Sorry, Brad, I'm out. You know. And, and a third time. More money, more time. All these people celebrating this thing. I'm like, I can't even sit through it for 10 minutes. And I just literally walked out. And the truth is, we've all made decisions because some people were celebrating this thing. And so we went to participate. You may have chosen your college this way. You're like, no, no, Kevin, I went to A&M because it's the best. I'm like, oh, fair. But for some of you, you literally chose the college you attend based on what other people were celebrating. Some of you have chosen majors and career paths based on this. It's not, you didn't choose this career because it was 
a real match between your gifting and your passions. You chose this career path because other people around you were celebrating this major or this career. And so you literally chose it. And that is shaping your future. Some of you chose a date because of this, right? You didn't even like her, but you're like, hey, everyone else likes her. Like, hey, you want to go out for a date? And you're like, like, how did that work? And the girl didn't even like you. She's like, they, they, they think he's nice. I don't know. And you, you went on this date, not because you wanted to, not because you thought it was best for you, but because people were celebrating. And so that determined where you were participating. And Paul says, look, all of life work this, works this way. What you rejoice in, what you most celebrate is where you will participate. And there's two paths you can take. There's two paths that will shape your life. And you can choose to to either live your life based on achievement-based living or acceptance-based living. You can live your life chasing one of two paths. Either I will look to see what I can achieve or I will receive an accepted life through Christ. And he lines out to say, there's a pull in one way or the other. And he says, I want to warn you about achievement-based living. I want to warn you about this path. He does it starting in verse 2. He says this, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He describes this path In three ways. He says there's a people, and there's a path, and there's a result. He says there's a people, and a path, and a result. And he warns you about these people, because what these people will do is they'll call you to chase achievement. And he gives them this description. He says that they are dogs, evildoers, and mutilators. Now, most commentators believe that this group of people he's talking to aren't on the surface evil people, but they're Judaizers, meaning... They said, it's great to believe in Christ, but you just got to add on to that faith all the Jewish observances of the law. So just add on to your belief in Jesus all the Old Testament beliefs and practices. Just add on great religious activity to your faith. And Paul says, let me warn you about that way of thinking, that achievement-based living. He calls them dogs. Now, in the Roman times, dogs were unclean animals. To you, they're cute and fluffy, and you're going to adopt one later on today. But for them, they were scavengers. They were literally uh, the unclean, dirty animals in Roman times. And he calls them evildoers. See, these people thought they were enhancing you through good works. Like, that you would obey the, the Old Testament law, that you would do all of the right things. And they thought you were enhancing your life. And what he actually says is, no, they're causing you to engage in evil activities. They weren't necessarily wrong as we were looking at them, but if you prioritize this in your life, they're actually evil. And then lastly, he gives you a clue as to what they're asking them to do. He calls them mutilators of the flesh. Why do you call them that? Well, he says, because they were asking these Gentile believers to get circumcised. That was one of the observances of the Old Testament. And what that activity meant was you are needing to adopt the whole Old Testament rules and laws and add on to faith all of these religious activities. And Paul says, I'm going to warn you about these people. I'm going to warn you about these people that tempt you to chase achievement-based living. Because what they're saying is I want to add to your faith all of these works. And if you want to 
get the approval of these people, you're going to have to participate in what they participate in. And the truth is this. We all have people that we value their approval from. We have a group of people that we want to be accepted by. And that's why we we work really hard in our business because we really hope that these people will accept us and approve of us. It's why we go out for our specific organizations because we're hoping this organization will, will validate me, will approve me. And so we'll do all of the things so that we can receive that acceptance. We'll climb those ladders so that once we get to the top, we feel like we're loved, validated, worthwhile. And Paul says, I want to warn you about that. I want to warn you about that path. He says, I want to tell you about what that path looks like. Verse 4, he says this. Though I have myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And Paul says, look, if you want to chase what they're, what they're laying out for you, let me let you know something. I've been there. And not only have I been there, I've climbed that ladder. Not only have I climbed that ladder, I was better at climbing that ladder than anyone else you know. And then he gives his resume. He tells you, this is what I did. And he lists literally seven qualities that he was born with and three qualities that he earned. He says this, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He says this, I have done everything that you are being asked to do. He says, these are the four qualities I was born with. First, I was circumcised on the eighth day. To be a real Jew, to be like really in the group, you had to be born in the right family and also participate in the right activities. And one of those was to be circumcised on the eighth day from your birth. He says, I did that. I was born to the right people. I was of the people of Israel. I was literally from the nation of Israel, the people of God, of the tribe of Benjamin. See, in their day and age, uh, they were not all able to trace their ancestry to the original Jews because they had uh, been taken away by Babylon, Assyria, and they'd been taken away from their homeland. But the tribe of Benjamin had stayed there. And Paul said, I'm one of the few people that can actually legitimately chase, trace my roots. And I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. And fourthly, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning I know Hebrew, baby. Right? Like, I am in. I was born in the right place, and I've done the right things. I mean, and, and even in our culture, we have this. Like, if you were born from the right people, there's an immediate acceptance, right? So you're going out for an organization, like, hey, where are you from? Highland Park? And they're like, oh, come on. Mm-hmm. Come on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're like, where are you born? Where, where are you from? Like, Snook? And they're like, no, okay. Good, good. And you're like, like what's, what's going on? Like, like, I can't control where I was born, but, but we see that, you know? Like, they ask you, like, hey, are you, like, a legacy Aggie or, or like, something else? And, you know, and you're like, like, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm a first-generation Aggie. And they're like, okay, you'll get there, you know? Maybe when your great-great-great-grandkids come, you know, you'll be, you'll be good. Others of you are just like, no, no, I'm, like, Earl Rudder's, like, grandniece or something. And you're like, oh, my gosh, like, you, you're in, like, Aggie, maroon blood. Can we, you know, maroon. And, you, and we do that. We play that game like if you were born from the right place, if you're from the right stock, suddenly you have value that other people don't. And Paul says, look, if we're playing the game of climbing ladders, I was at the top of that ladder by nothing I did, everything I was born with. But not only that, he says, I also earned it. He says, I was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the most um, religious-focused group in this day and age. 
they would tithe everything, even like spices. They would like take 10% of their spices, like that one to the Lord, this one I can eat with. Like they were insane. They had memorized the entire Old Testament in original Hebrew. That's varsity people, right? As to zeal, not only did I do know all the right things, I was a persecutor of the church. I took this to the next level. I held the coats of the men who stoned Stephen, a Christian. Like, I was persecuting the church. I was zealous for my faith. And not only that, as to the law, blameless. No one had anything they could put against me. I was literally perfect. If there was a ladder to climb, I climbed it. If there was a status to reach, I reached it. And Paul says, I want to tell you about that ladder. I want to tell you about climbing that place. It doesn't end where you most hope. And I tell you, we all have these things in life. Like ladders we're looking to climb. And Paul's talking about religious ones. We have our own little religious ones, right? We do. So like if you are a real Christian, you've got Hillsong and Bethel and Austin Stone on your phone, you know? Like, and you listen to those because Jesus speaks through those songs. He does, but... Not only, right? And, it, and, and not only that, I, I, need the, I need the right Bible, right? And so you've got an ESV, not other non-inspired versions, right? You've got your ESV. <laughs> and then you've got your right, like, like journal, and you're just like, I take notes, you know? And then you just, like, all of these things, and you're like, I want to go to the right church, I want to be in the right organization, and like, like I want to go to the right events, and like, if I do all of these things, these are my religiously focused ladders that I'm climbing, and see, I'm in, I'm accepted, I'm one of the few, I'm one of the chosen, right? It's like, I'm it. And maybe not in that realm, but maybe it's, it's some other realm, it's your, your career, like, I want to be an engineer. And I want to make a lot of money. And I want to chase these things. And so I will, I will also have my own company. You know? So I'll go into engineering, but then I'll start my own like, kind of side hustle. And then, and then when that thing kind of takes over, then I'll, then I'll sell that company and become a bagillionaire. And it'll be amazing. And I'll buy a house and car. And all by the, before I turn 30, you know, because once I turn 30, I'm going to change my interests. And then I'm going to become an artist. You know? I'm just going to move to Boulder, Colorado and just like be there. And it'll be so great. And, and, and you've got... <laughs> You got this little achievement ladder that you're laying out there. You're like, once I do that, and you're like, oh, Kevin, yeah, those people are so silly. But you, you just want to get married and have kids. And you're just like, once I have my babies, then life will make sense, and then life will be worthwhile. And the ones that are laughing are parents, because they're like, <laughs> you think. But every one of us, has some little ladder we're climbing, some little pursuit that will make life make sense to me. And Paul says, if you want to play that game, I've been there, I've done that, and let me tell you the results. There's three results. The first result is this. It's pride. Because some of you will actually do it. Like some of you will climb that ladder. You will get to that spot and you'll be standing there with the ring, with the girl, with the company. And you'll be like, so, breathe it in, people. Breathe it in, right? And you, you'll be there. You'll have it. And Jesus has a word for you. In Luke chapter 18, he gives this parable. Verse 9, he says, And he told them this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He says, there's a group of people that can obtain everything that we're all striving for. And I want to tell you about those people. They, they believe that they've attained it themselves and they treat other people with contempt. They look down at them, at other people. They're, they're prideful. 
He says, this is the story. Two men went up into a, the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. See what he says? God, thank you that I've obtained all of this, like I've achieved all of my dreams, like I've been successful, I've worked hard, I've, I've gritted out and done it, and thank you that I'm not like them. He says, I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector standing far off wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus says, pride doesn't get you in. Achieving everything you set out for doesn't get you in. First is made in pride. For others of you, it'll end in despair. Because you'll have all of those things that you wanted to achieve and you won't get them. And there'll be something you blame or shame you carry because of it. You'll be someone, there'll be someone to blame. You'll, you'll be like, like, if they weren't that way, if I was born in a better family, if I had better opportunities, if I, if I would have had this, then, then I would get what I most want. And it's, it's their fault for never getting me there and never giving me the right opportunities. And you'll live in blame or you'll live in shame. You'll live under the frown of God because you were never able to achieve all that God opened up for you. And you'll live under the frown of God in this pit of shame, pitiful It'll be pride or despair. Or thirdly, you'll see that it's actually empty. You'll get everything that you want or you won't, and you'll see the emptiness of that pursuit. Jack Higgins was an author who's had numerous bestsellers. I mean, nearly every book he wrote became a bestseller. He was extremely successful, and he was asked in an interview, what do you say now that you've been so successful in your life? And he says this, I would tell them, that when you get to the top, there's nothing there. Tennis star Boris Becker, um, in the book Counterfeit Gods, Tim Keller uses this example, and he says this. He says, I had won Wimbledon twice before, once as the youngest player. I was rich. I had all the material possessions I needed. It's the old song of movie stars and pop stars who commit suicide. They have everything, and yet they were so unhappy I had no inner peace. I was a puppet on a string. He says, I got everything that I most dreamed of, and I found it to be extremely empty. J.D. Rockefeller, right? Richest man in his, at his time. He was asked by a reporter, hey, how much, how much is enough? You know the answer. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Even if you climb the top of the ladder, once you get up there and you look around, you see how empty it really is up there. And Paul says, I want to spare you for that. I want to spare you from that. Not achievement-based living, but I want to give you an entirely different way to live. I want you to live as someone that's accepted. Verse 7 says it this way. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For, the sake, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. 
He says, if you want to chase another path, it begins with this, a person. It begins with a person and a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he says, I want you to compare. When he compares everything that he had achieved versus the person of Jesus Christ, he has a word for that. He says, everything I achieved, if I weigh that out and I compare to what I have in Christ, I got to say, this is all rubbish. Now, that's a nice way of translating the real Greek word. It's skubala, which basically means excrement. It's another nice way of saying bad stuff, right? He says, when I look at every, all of my achievements in comparison to my, what I have in Christ, it's worthless. It's excrement. It's not worth anything. Now, how can he say that? Like, were all the other things that he achieved just, just wrong? I mean, is, is chasing business success just wrong? Is, is chasing all of these other achievements, like, just wrong? Just, just trash compared to Christ? I'm like, well, look what he says. In comparison, when I compare all of that to this person, it's not even worth comparing. The best example I can give to, to show this is um, with my wife. It's not a perfect example, but it's an example. So when I went to college, I had all these great buddies. Like, I just, I loved them. We, we like, went and got donuts, like, at 2 a.m. and just, like, went to random movies and just had so much fun together. They were my roommates, running mates. We did everything together. You know, dot, ride, whatever it is. We, just, we, they, we were there together and hung. It was awesome. So much fun. And then there was Hillary. And these guys were awesome. But then there's Hillary. Right? I mean, Hillary is beautiful. Hillary is brilliant. Hillary is the mother of my four children, right? Like, they're awesome. But in comparison, scubula, right? Like, they're not worth being compared to this relationship. Like, this person was so much more to me than that. What Paul is saying, when I compare everything compared to knowing the creator of the universe... When I compare everything I, I, I can obtain to the one who created everything, it is not worth comparing. There is a relationship that is dynamic, personal, amazing, and it is not worth comparing. There's a person to know. But secondly, there's a past pathway of relational living. He says this pathway involves really three pieces. Knowing. Releasing. And receiving. The first thing he says is this. It's about knowing Jesus. He says, I, I've suffered the loss of all things that I might know him. This relationship with Jesus Christ has changed everything. Do you know Jesus Christ this morning? Have you put your faith solely and wholly in Jesus Christ? And is, is he your source of life? Or is something else you're chasing? The first thing Paul says is, look, it's worth knowing him and being in right relationship with him. But secondly, it requires releasing. He says, this relationship caused me to release all things. And for Paul, it cost him a lot. I mean, he was shipwrecked. He, he lost all of his, his fame within the Pharisee ranks when he became a Christian, was rejected by all of those people. And for some of us, following Christ, receiving this relationship, m- will mean releasing all of your achievements. For some of you, it may mean a career change. For some of you, it may mean a, a relationship change. 
It may, it may not. You can love the Lord as an engineer. You can love the Lord as a business person. You can love the Lord as a mom. It may not mean you need to change anything, but for some of you, it's worth weighing to say, Lord, am I, am I prioritizing you above everything else? So for Paul, it meant releasing. And lastly, thirdly, it means receiving. Verse 9, it says, And to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The last piece means is this. You, you receive the righteousness of Christ as a gift. This relational living means that you first, you know, you release, and you receive. You receive righteousness as a gift. We all want to be right. We all want to be right, seen right in front of a group of people, seen right in front of in front of uh, our family or friends, maybe receive righteousness. We want to be right in front of God. And Jesus, Paul says, I know how that happens. It comes through the person of Jesus Christ. See, when you, when you die, and I die, we'll all die at some point, there'll become a moment when you stand before God. And God won't ask you this question, but if you were to ask this question and saying, hey, why should I let you in here? There's one of two answers you can give. The first answer is you can say, well, I, I've been a good person. Like, I, I've done the right thing. I, I, I went to church. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a nice person. I'm a good person. I worked hard, and, and, and I think you should let me in because I, I'm a good person. And God says, yeah, there's an answer for, for that answer. Like, there will be books of all your life, of everything that you've done and haven't done right, and, and your life will be weighed on these books. Your righteousness will be determined based on the life that you lived. And the Bible says you'll never add up. And for the others of you, there's another answer. Is it my achievements? Or is it based on being accepted? See, the Bible has a better answer than that. It's called the great exchange. The great exchange is this, that when I come to Jesus Christ through faith alone, all of my sin and all of my achievements go to the cross of Christ. And they're paid for. All of my sin, all of my mistakes, everything is fully forgiven. And when I stand new, when I stand before God, I receive the righteousness of Christ as a gift. And so when God asks, why should I let you in? It's not because of anything I've done. It's because of everything I've received. You've received free righteousness as a gift. And the only response you need to make is one of faith. Have you put your faith holy and solely in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins if you have you're forgiven and his righteousness is given to you and that's freeing that's empowering see I want to there's a resistance that you can have to that like okay it's, it's a free gift like all I need to do is receive the grace of God through Jesus Christ it seems too easy I mean won't that produce like I don't know a just a passive person? I mean, does that mean like all I need to do is spend the rest of my time like on the back porch just playing the guitar, you know, just like, hey, you know, what's up? No, Jesus, like I'm good, you know, like some of you are not laughing because you're like, that's what I was planning on doing <laughs> later today. Well, there's two results that I think Paul is really indicating this. And the first one is this. The first result is hard work. See, the difference for a Christian is that we don't work hard to earn favor. 
We work hard from favor. We don't work hard for something. We work hard from something. And see, the Puritans had this right. Now, the Puritan work ethic gets a bad rap because they say this, like, the Puritans basically worked hard because otherwise they thought they were going to go to hell. Like, here's your motivation. Don't go to hell. Work hard. Like, that actually wasn't it. They believed this, that there was two callings of God. A general call of everyone to come to faith in Christ. And then a special calling. An occupation God has provided for you. And a thing for you to work in. So it may be as a wife. It may be as a spouse. It may be as a, as a, as a businessman. It may be as a student. I don't know what your specific calling is. But, but your secondary calling is, is unique to you. And so when, when Puritan writers would write about this specific calling that God has on you. He says, we work really hard. Because God has given us purpose in life. And so I fulfill my responsibilities as a student, as a worker, as a, as a, as a spouse, as, as a parent. Because I've been given a great gift by God. Not to earn favor, but from favor. The second one is unconditional love. We have a great opportunity this morning to actually celebrate communion. As the men go and prepare um, communion for us, I'll give you the final example of what we have in Christ. Unconditional love. So about a year ago, I uh, watched um, the TV series uh, Stranger Things. Um, it's good. And I'm going to ruin it for you. And so, but I feel good about just season one uh, because if you haven't watched it yet, you're probably not going to watch it, so I don't really care. Um, but we watched the whole first season, and it's, it's a unique, this unique storyline about these little teenage kids that are kind of interacting in this real, real weird world. I'm not getting into any of that. But at the last, at the end of the movie, um, all of these uh, junior high boys all go to a dance, right? It's like this junior high dance. It's the most awkward environment imaginable, right? All junior high dances were. Um, and they're at this junior high dance, and this one kind of little dorky kid a little nerdy. Okay, he's, he's going around, and he's just asking different uh, girls to dance with him. He's like, hey, you want to dance? And the girl's like, uh-uh. He's like, all right, all right. Hey, hey, you want to dance? You want to dance? And the girl's like, mm-mm, mm-mm. He goes, hey, hey, you want to dance? And then girl after girl rejects him. And so he goes and stands on the side, just like downcast. Like, <sighs> and then one of his best friend's big sister sees this whole thing play out, and watches him standing over there on the side by himself. And she walks over to him. She says, hey, do you want to dance? And you see this kid's like countenance just change. He's like, oh. Now, was it because he really wanted to dance? He's like, no one will dance with me. You know, like, was that the reason? No. It had everything to do with acceptance. Unconditional love. You know what you have in Jesus Christ this morning? Unconditional love. Unconditional love. When you come to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you are fully accepted, fully received. There is nothing to earn. You are fully loved. Will you let that settle in on your heart this morning? Will that give you freedom as you head into finals? Will that give you freedom as you head into the workplace? Will that give you freedom as you walk into each environment you walk into this next week? It can if you really let it sink deep, I am loved. 
I am right with the creator of the universe and I can walk in freedom. Jesus purchases that for you on the cross. Communion is a celebration of that moment, what Jesus did on the cross for you. So would you take a moment and prepare your heart to say, Lord, am I resting on your acceptance? Am I rejoicing only in your acceptance or in something else? And prepare your hearts as the men um, distribute the elements. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he's having dinner with his disciples. At one point in the meal, he takes a loaf of bread. And he breaks the bread and he says to his disciples, this is my body, which has been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. And he took the cup. He looked at his disciples. He said, this is my blood that has been shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Pray with me. Jesus, we thank you that you lived the life we could not live. You died the death we deserve to die. And you did it to purchase for us freedom, acceptance. And Lord, I know there's so many of us that are chasing little things that feel so big. And Lord, I pray that you would You would help us to see that being accepted in you, Christ, is better than all of life. So Lord, I pray that as we we close this morning, you would put that deep imprint in our hearts that we are loved and accepted in Christ. We have the righteousness of God by faith in Christ. if If there's someone this morning that has never prayed the simple prayer of Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Thank you for dying for my sins. I trust in you. I pray that they would pray that prayer this morning. For others of us, Lord, we've been, we've been chasing ladders all semester long. And Lord, we've found them to be empty. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to refocus our life, refocus our mind on you, the author of life. It's in your name we pray.